Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. Weather is certainly a challenge in a lot of places. We have flooding going on in areas such as Nebraska and, of course, down in uh, Louisiana. Um, well, here in Illinois, we've had some really hot weather, pavements buckling in places. Uh, now some cooler weather for a day or two and some relief from that heat. But, wow, has the corn really shot up with the heat and humidity we've had here in Illinois. And uh, it has really jumped in the last uh, week to 10 days or so. Lots to talk about today, some trade issues. We have a better idea on a timetable for USMCA, even as uh, the push is really starting to build now to, to try to get it across the uh, finish line. We'll be talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation about that. Also, Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Also today, more reaction to EPA's proposed levels for the renewable fuel standard for 2020. A lot of people upset about that and still the refinery exemption issue. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association a little bit later on. But right now, we're going to start it off with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Good to talk with you, Phil. Uh, Interesting story that you have uh, about uh, prevent plant insurance claims could easily hit a record this year. That's even with lower limits that uh, the Ag Department put on a few years ago uh, on these claims. Uh, Give us a little detail on that. Well, uh, uh, some of those numbers were the work of Gary Schnitke, an economist at the University of Illinois. Um, Of course, at this point, we're really guessing on how many acres out there. He worked off about uh, 8 million acres in corn, 3 million acres in uh, beans, and then... uh, uh, some additional acreage uh, in that, uh, which he he his numbers uh, might work out to as much as three point uh, uh, six billion dollars in uh, insurance claims, which is way over uh, anything we've seen before. Uh, working against that, uh, as I mentioned, is in the last few years, um, uh, the Risk Management Agency has uh, has has made some changes to kind of uh, to bring the uh, insurance to prevent plant coverage more in line with uh, pre-plant costs. They lowered the coverage level. They did away with the 10% buy-off option. Now the 5% uh, buy-off is the uh, is the maximum. So those two things have, uh, are providing a little less coverage to the individual producer. But on the other hand, we have a lot of productive farmland there in Illinois uh, Indiana and Ohio uh, and other states that was uh, affected by uh, huge planning delays this spring. Just still so much unknown, so uh, we'll continue to watch that as we go along to see right. uh, where those numbers come in at. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we we have a little better idea, sounds like, when there might be a vote on USMCA. We're going to be talking more about that on today's show, but it looks like it'll be after the August recess. Right. Democrats have been in the House have been saying this for uh, several weeks that uh, there's just, just no way that they were going to be ready to vote on this and uh, in July. And, of course, after July is this month-long recess in August. They don't come back until a week after uh, Labor Day, well into September. So we're looking at uh, uh, the agreement being on the floor, the implementing legislation actually is uh, what they'll be voting on. That'll be on the floor in uh, the fall, most likely. That's what we're hearing now. Uh, Vice President Pence was out in California yesterday promoting the uh, the, the agreement, and he told reporters that uh, he's uh, uh, fairly confident that it'll get done by the end of the year. Yeah, the push is on, as we'll talk about on today's program. And uh, they'll try to build momentum as they as, as it heads for a vote. Meanwhile, we also have uh, maybe a date in sight for markup of an infrastructure reauthorization bill. Yeah, they're talking about the surface transportation uh, reauthorization. Talking about doing that in the Senate before August. For uh, uh, this is one thing. There's obviously a lot of bipartisan uh, support for one of those things that can get done. Uh, we haven't seen much move legislatively this year. And, of course, as soon as we get into 2020, 
uh, presidential campaign season, things really start shutting down uh, on the Hill. Um, and you're not going to see much happen other than nominations and so forth. So they do need to get started on this uh, uh, reauthorization of the uh, surface transportation programs. Speaking of possible. nominations, there are still people waiting to be approved, uh, right? I mean, it's amazing how long this process is taking. Uh, it is. Uh, we have some holes on uh, the uh, nominees, uh, the three, there's three pending nominees for uh, USDA. They've been installed, actually, in uh, uh, secondary appointed, appointed positions uh, while they wait Senate confirmation. That's uh, actually kind of irritated uh, top Democrat on the Senate Agriculture Committee, Debbie Stabenow. Um, the fact that they're they're now working at USDA, even though they're not confirmed for the, uh, the, the uh, sub-cabinet positions uh, that they were nominated for. Um, you know, but there are other issues that have come up, and you have senators who put uh, various senators who put hold of, holes on these nominations. So to be seen when they go forward. You wonder if they'll be approved by the time the, the next election. I mean, it's just amazing how long it takes. Uh, what are some things, what's going on in the effort to, to increase broadband coverage across the country? Well, USDA is moving forward. You know, there was a, there was a, a pilot in the, set up as a pilot program at USDA, um, a combination of grants and loans, and that was uh, the money was uh, authorized by Congress uh, last year. Uh, there's a second tranche of money that came that came through. There's a third tranche of money that is uh, in the House uh, Agricultural Appropriations Bill uh, that was passed uh, last month, shortly before the July the fourth recess. Um, and so there's a good chance, eventually, if we ever get it appropriation for fiscal 2020 that there'll be yet another appropriation so usda is just uh processing these uh, first first round of applications they had to write the rules for it and uh, start to put the money money out there um so we'll see we'll start to see that money flow and it's going to be interesting to see how it works there's a second issue that uh, doesn't have to do with money directly and that has to do with the the broadband maps that the Federal Communications Commission draws up based on what companies tell them about where service is. A lot of complaints, including from Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, that these maps are not accurate, that they show coverage where there is not adequate coverage. The FCC has said that um, next month they will bring out a proposal to to require companies to improve the uh, the data that they're providing. So we'll see. That's, that's a big piece of this. All right. Thanks for the update, Phil. Good to talk with you. Okay. Great to be here. Thanks. Phil Brasher from AgriPulse Communications with our report from Washington, D.C. Up next, we're going to talk about uh, trade and USMCA in particular. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Stress less in a minute from the American Ag Network. We are talking with Monica McConkie with Prairie St. John's and Eyes on the Horizon Consulting. This week, we find out what the term stress management really means. So stress management is being able to handle stress and at the same time, function in daily life. So you're able to work, you're able to maintain your health, you're able to parent, you're able to go to church, to be maintain your social life at the same time that you're experiencing stress. And there's a lot of different ways to manage stress and different things work for different people, but really stress management as a whole is being able to manage that stress, and move on with daily living. That's Monica McConkie. This is Stress Less in a Minute from the American Ag Network. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. 
Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Supporters of USMCA are starting to uh, get the drumbeat building for support and try to get it passed that uh, that beat will get louder and louder as we go throughout the summer it looks like now we know it'll be after the august recess before it will come up for a vote let's talk about it with dave salmonson senior director of congressional relations for the american farm bureau federation dave thanks for joining us uh, we have a better idea now because of when it's going to take place because there was some question could it happen before the august recess it looks now like it'll be in at least september well, there's, those are some of the indications that we're hearing from uh, different parts of leadership, especially in the Congress. Uh, we're still, uh, we'd still like to get it done as soon as we can, but of course, we don't, uh, we can't get to voting on a bill until we have a bill. So again, no uh, implementing bill, implementing piece of legislation for USMCA has been sent by the administration to the Congress. That must happen, obviously, before they can act. And the administration is saying, uh, through uh, Ambassador Lighthizer, the head of the trade rep's office, that they're continuing to discuss with the Democrats their issues. They want to get those worked out, get the leadership on board before they present any legislation so that they know it's going to uh, ultimately pass. So we're going to give them their time, um, keep working through July. And uh, even though the uh, members of Congress will be gone over August, I'm sure the staff folks and uh, We'll be working away, and, of course, members are there to be brought together if necessary. So still working away on USMCA. What are the remaining big issues that have to be resolved? Yeah, yeah, they've coalesced these down to four issues, and they've got uh, working groups composed of some House members along with the people in the administration. And their uh, labor provisions, they're still uh, trying to look at how those are going to work out, especially with Mexico. Um, how they can be enforced, overall enforcement, but especially enforcement of labor provisions. There's environmental provisions uh, that they still want to see uh, what they're going to mean, and I think they have suggestions on, uh, on some provisions there. And then this uh, drug pricing for biologic drugs. So that is an issue that goes, it seems, here. It's in the USMCA because there are differences in the patent protection in terms of years uh, between the U.S. and Canada and Mexico. They agreed uh, to a term here in the USMCA agreement. Uh, some companies, uh, generic drug manufacturers, want it shortened up. 
and the pharmaceutical companies pretty much like it the way it is. So there's a, a bit of a scrap uh, between them, and that's spilled over into the political discussion. So um, those issues, I think they're all susceptible. Uh, people say they can come up with language. We hope they don't have to go in to reopen the agreement, something they can put in the implementing bill to uh, give comfort to those who are concerned about those. And as is at least looking now, again, I like to hold out hope and uh, keep pushing to get things done sooner rather than later. But uh, the idea seems to be taking hold now that uh, work these issues out. Um, when they do come back after recess, if they haven't already done it, uh, take it up as soon as they come back and get this done. What about the political environment? I, I'm thinking back to farm bills, uh, recent history, uh, when the Republicans uh, controlled the House, but yet there were, you know, there were fractions uh, within the party. You had the the Freedom Caucus and other groups, and it made it difficult to get, uh, you know, a majority vote uh, on a farm bill. Now we see the Democrats have control of the House, but yet. Uh, they have their issues, some infighting going on. Is that going to make it more difficult? Well, it's a little different here because you've got pretty much the Republican vote. We like to think and hope that uh, on the House side will be for this. Um, so the 200 are votes. I won't give a specific number, but say the vast majority, we hope, and are pretty certain have expressed support for moving this ahead. So you need a much smaller proportion of the majority party to actually, at the end of the day, vote for it uh, to get it passed. What is different, though, and we all have to remember this, and we're working on this assumption, you do need a majority of the majority probably to support getting it to the floor. Uh, no majority party, in this instance the Democrats in the House, are going to put a bill on the floor that their caucus doesn't support. So while all of the, uh, you know, the, a majority of the Democrats may not vote for it in final passage, you do need enough of them to say, yes, we want this to come to a vote. So uh, it's not just perhaps 40 Democrats we need to get the Democratic votes in the House to join the Republicans to pass this. You may at least need a uh, up, way upwards of that. So that's, uh, that's kind of the lobbying strategy that everybody is following here. So, again, as you said, lots of politics involved with uh, – with moving legislation and trade agreements especially. How concerned are you that it might not get voted on this year, that it could get pushed into next year, which could be a real problem with the election? Well, that's always a uh, concern, and that's where everybody's working so hard, and we've had our folks in this week and over the next few weeks, lots of people coming to town to lobby on this. Other ag organizations are having fly-ins, the broad business groups that we're in coalitions with having a big lobby day this week and having more later this month. So lots of people working uh, while the uh, Congress is in town. And I think everybody's also making plans for the visits uh, during the recess. So everybody can visit with their uh, congressmen when they're at home and at public events, you know, heading into fair season and all that. So uh, this issue will not go away uh, at all in the ag world and the business world. Everybody will keep up their efforts. And uh, sure, keep pressure on the uh, on the the House uh, leadership to uh, come to an agreement, uh, encouraging the administration to work hard to come to agreements so that this can move ahead as soon as possible. And earlier this uh, earlier the better. Yeah, this is going to kind of be high drama here as we work through the summer and into the fall. Yeah. We're talking with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Meanwhile, Dave. Uh, how do you gauge what's going on between the U.S. and China? We haven't seen a lot of movement since the G20 summit. We know there have been some calls back and forth. Uh, where, where does it stand? Yes, you know, there have been a few calls, and you're getting to the point where the G20 meeting was, let's see, that was end of June, so a few weeks ago, and there's increasing attention to the idea, okay, uh, there was discussion uh, right after the meeting that China would, as a goodwill gesture, announce some purchases. Uh, we hope large purchases. Well, uh, we haven't seen much on China or anything really about that yet, um, nor face-to-face meetings. Though, as you said, there has been some discussion back and forth. I think a reset, as it was described when that meeting between President Trump and President Xi ended, is probably exactly what this is, a reset I don't think any new the issues were resolved. I think we're back to where they were at the end of April, uh, discussing how to reduce the tariffs, 
what the extent of Chinese ag and energy purchases and the issues of cybersecurity, intellectual property protection, technology transfer, all the issues that were on the table are still on the table. Um, but they gave themselves time. You know, President Trump said we're not going to go ahead with new tariffs, but didn't take any of the existing tariffs off or reduce any tariff rates. So we're there. We're where we are. Um, but they do, and of course, we're all encouraging them to get engaged, close some, close the deal, take care of these tariffs. Let's move on with ag purchases. That, of course, from the ag community side, uh, we know these bigger structural issues are difficult. They've been talked about for uh, for years. They're hard, but you can't resolve them unless you get there and work at them. So we're really encouraging uh, the administration, of course, by by extent the uh, Chinese government too, the extent we can. Uh, to sit down and uh, and get this going. Well, some have said we're ninety percent done. It's this last ten percent that's tough. But I mean, we're a year uh-huh. into this, and sometimes it doesn't feel like we're very close to getting it done. No, I think it's one of those issues. You you could set it up a couple different ways. You could say a, a series of smaller agreements, which would work in the ag uh, industry's benefit because we think our issues of tariffs and purchases and resuming trade could be could get resolved or do you hold out which may be or at least they're discussing now for the big package where you take care of the tariffs purchases and you also deal with those big structural issues that we talked about so if you wait if you have to wait for everything at once then that's going to take a while but of course we'd like to uh move ahead perhaps in uh smaller bites and uh get the agreements where we can and and move on and keep working on the uh, tougher issues. But uh, that's part of the strategy of negotiations. Uh, We just want the administration and the Chinese government to move along. All right, Dave, thanks for the update. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dave Salmonson. So, We'll hear a lot about USMCA through the summer as we uh, hopefully get a vote uh, later this year. We'll talk more about that later with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. But up next, uh, all the controversy and debate going on in the renewable fuels industry with EPA, small refinery exemptions, RBO levels. We'll get into all that next with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. That is exactly uh, the question that we're all going to have to evaluate. And frankly, I don't think we're going to be able to evaluate that immediately. For some of the substantive issues that the U.S. is pushing China on, it's not just a matter of having the government say it's going to do something. It's actually seeing the implementation and then ensuring that what you think you got in the negotiation is what's actually implemented. So we'll all do an initial assessment once a deal is reached, and, and probably we'll do some Monday morning quarterbacking to say that should have gotten more in this area or, or that one is nice but doesn't go as uh, it doesn't do exactly what I needed it to do but really it'll be in the intervening six months a year after it's implemented that we'll be able to begin to assess whether it's made genuine structural changes all right Aaron as always thanks for your perspective good to talk with you again same here Mike have a good day take care Aaron Ennis senior vice president of the U.S. China Business Councils for the information important to rural America join us on Adams on Agriculture Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For livestock at the Merck, we've got minus signs and lean hog futures in early activity on this Thursday. USDA releasing data this morning showing no new export sales of pork to China. Sales totaled only 11,300 metric tons for 2019, down 52% from the previous week. Traders have been looking for indicators of increased Chinese purchases of U.S. pork. Hog futures have rallied 7.5% in the past two days. An hour in on this Thursday, the August lean hogs contract down $1.07 at eighty sixty five. Live cattle August down $0.30 cents at one hundred seven thirty two. Still waiting for cash cattle activity in the Central and Southern Plains. Some bids remain far below asking prices of around 113 in the south. In feeder cattle, the August contract is up a dime at 142.45.
For the grain and oil seed sector, traders anticipating a bearish report from USDA at 11 central time today for the new WASD numbers. Corn futures trending two and a fraction lower. December down two and a quarter at 437 and a quarter. Soybean futures one to two and a fraction lower. New crop November down two at 911. Export sales of soybeans missed analyst expectations in this morning's export sales report. China was the biggest buyer, though, of old crop soybeans, buying 127,800 tons. In the wheats, Chicago September down a fraction of a cent, 504 and a half. Kansas City September down two at 439 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat September down two and three quarters at 526. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 96, S&P up 2, crude oil up 11 cents in New York. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as we've talked about, uh, the biofuels industry not happy with EPA's uh, 2020 RVO proposals, and also not happy with what's going on, of course, with the small refinery exemptions. And despite uh, the E15 announcement uh, about a month ago, uh, we're really here at a, at a crossroads, it seems like. I'm going to talk about it with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Uh, it seems like the administration has been trying to, uh, you know, walk down the middle and try to keep both sides happy, but we're coming to a point where they're going to have to make a decision one way or another which way they're going to go, aren't they? Well, that's right, Mike, and thanks for having me this morning. Uh, but, but you're exactly right. Uh, it seems like we get you know one step forward with this administration and then take three or four steps backward. And, and we saw some big backward steps last Friday uh, when EPA put out the 2020 renewable volume obligation proposal. It's, it's just not a good proposal at all for us. And it's going to take a lot of work and, and heavy lifting for us to get that thing back on track. So um, it's, it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster for the ethanol industry. I mean, we had the, the big victory with E15 year-round uh, earlier this summer, and, and now we're facing a proposal for 2020 RFS volumes that's just not, not good at all. Explain this for people listening who would say, now, wait a minute, you got the E15, so you're not going to get everything, so why aren't you just happy that you got that? And uh, Explain why this is such a critical issue and how this proposal, if it's finalized, uh, really more than offsets any gains of the E15 announcement. Well, probably the, the simplest way to explain that, Mike, is we expect about 50 million gallons of new ethanol demand to result from the E15 year-round approval. Um, So 50 million gallons, that's the output of about one small ethanol plant uh, annually. And that's the the demand boost we expect to see over the next 12 months or so um, as a consequence of that rulemaking. Uh, On the other hand, the demand we've lost through small refiner exemptions is something greater than 2 billion gallons of ethanol uh, just with the 2016 and 2017 waivers. So, so you, know, you know, 2 billion gallons is, is roughly equivalent to the output of about 20 large ethanol plants. Um, so it's not a, 
not a fair trade here uh, when we talk about E15 for small refiner exemptions. Uh, and we've seen no commitment from EPA and the administration in this latest rule uh, proposal uh, that they're going to rein back on, on small refiner exemptions. So that's, that's what we're most concerned about. We can't afford to see another round of, of 35 or 40 exemptions granted and another uh, you know, billion gallons or, or more of, of demand loss uh, from those exemptions. So it isn't a fair trade. The, uh, the scales remain uh, tipped in favor of, of the refiners on this issue. Um, you know, I do think that some have tried to lead the president to believe that, yeah, you, you know, you, you've given something to both sides here. Well, uh, we're still on the short end of the stick by a long shot. Yeah, I want to I want to repeat those numbers for people that maybe not realizing how the inequity of this. You hope to get 50 million with an M gallons of new demand right. from the E15 announcement, but you know you've already lost two billion with a B gallons because of the uh, the small refinery exemptions. So I mean, you got it. Those are big and numbers. Again, you know, the, they're huge numbers, and the way to think about it. Um, in really simple terms, is like I said, we, we you know, we're getting the equivalent of, of uh, one uh, small ethanol plant uh, annual output in demand growth from E15, and on the other side of the scale, we're seeing the demand loss from about 20 large ethanol plants or 40 small ethanol plants. So um, that's that's not a trade that that anybody would be uh, willing to accept, and and that's uh, I think helps put in perspective the the, the nature of, of what's going on here. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So what about uh, the administration's review of their exemption policies? Where does that stand? What impact is that having, if any? Well, we, you know, again, it's been about a month ago uh, that President Trump was in Council Bluffs, Iowa. He toured one of our member uh, companies' facilities there, uh, SIRE, Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy, uh, and he heard directly from farmers uh, along the way there that day, and, and uh, I had the opportunity to speak with the president for a few minutes as well. Um, so he heard directly from us our concern about small refinery exemptions. Um, I, I know he got an earful uh, from uh, Senator Ernst and, and Senator Fisher on the issue as well. Uh, they were there that day and traveled with the president. Um, so he it's on his radar screen. Uh, we have no doubt about that. He he uh, clearly is aware of, of the issue and, and our concern, I think, as a result of his time in Iowa about a month ago. Um, we have heard that he's directed uh, EPA and USDA to, to get together and, and figure out a way forward on these exemptions that uh, that is more responsible and more more judicious than it's been the last few years. So we, we know that review is, is underway uh, you know, we do think it's the reason that we haven't seen any decisions on the 38 pending exemptions yet. Uh, but we would expect to start seeing some of those decided soon. And, and again, we remain very hopeful that EPA Administrator Wheeler is going to take a much more responsible approach uh, to those exemptions this time around. And, you know, we've always said, you know, you can get we're not opposed to giving exemptions when they're warranted. Um, as long as that lost volume is reallocated and those blending obligations that you're taking, aw- uh, taking away from small refiners are given back to larger, more integrated refiners um, that, that clearly have the ability to increase their blending of renewable fuels. Do you expect this proposal on the RVO levels to be finalized, or do you think there could be some changes? Well, we're, we're definitely going to be pushing for changes. Uh, we know there's going to be a hearing on this proposal uh, in Michigan uh, sometime here in the next several weeks. Uh, there will be an opportunity to submit written comments, and we're certainly, again, uh, encouraging all of our supporters and friends uh, in the industry and, and, and farm country to weigh in on this proposal. We'll have some comment campaign uh, efforts uh, going, just like we did with E15. Uh, and, you know, we have seen some examples in the past where EPA has made changes uh, to proposals that were not good for our industry and, and got them into a better place uh, before the, the final rule was issued. So we're definitely hoping that's going to be the case this time around. We're going to be pushing for that. The other big flaw with this proposal that we haven't talked about, Mike, is, you know, a, a 
the, the D.C. District Court in 2017 uh, commanded EPA to restore 500 million gallons of lost demand uh, that they inappropriately waived in 2016. And so they've been, EPA has been telling us all, you know, for the last two years, we're going to get to that, we're going to get to that. They, they told us recently, yep, we're going to address it in this 2020 proposal. Uh, and they did address it all right, but <laughs> what they did is, is basically ignored uh, the court's directive and said, yeah, we, we know the court told us to do this, but as we've reviewed it and looked at it, we just don't want to put this you know, this, this additional burden on refiners, and, and we just think it would not be appropriate to do that. And we about fell, of our, fell out of our chairs when we read that. I mean, it's, it's EPA ignoring and, and thumbing its nose at a court order. And so that's going to be another issue that we're going to be addressing uh, during the public comment period. What do you make of the Republican senators representing oil states and uh, the oil industry saying, keep USDA and Secretary Purdue out of, out of this process when it comes to these exemptions? I think it's uh, completely disappointing, uh, not at all surprising, uh, but I, I also think it's ridiculous. Of course, Secretary Purdue and USDA should be involved in these conversations. Uh, the impacts of the RFS on agriculture are very important, and this, this program is, is very significant uh, for farmers and, and for the agricultural uh, sector. So uh, to, to, to tell or to suggest that uh, Secretary Purdue should not be involved in decision-making on the RFS, I think, is just uh, absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, and, and in fact, I mean, the, the Congress, when they adopted the RFS, I mean, they were pretty clear that they wanted EPA consulting with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the U.S. Department of Energy um, on all matters dealing with the renewable fuel standards. So, again, not surprising to see that tactic from the oil uh, state senators, but uh, uh, disappointing nonetheless. So it just feels like things are coming to a head. It's what we started off by saying, um, yep. Jeff, that the, the administration is going to – the president has, has talked, uh, you know, very strongly about being supportive of renewable fuels, but you need to see some action right. from his administration to back up those words, right? That's that's absolutely right, Mike. And, and we were very pleased that he made good on his commitment on E15. Um, you know, that, that was a, a, a – fantastic uh, step forward for the industry, something we've been working on for 10 years. Uh, he promised he was going to get it done uh, for the industry, and he did. So that was great. Um, but again, when you, when you compare the demand gain from that action to the demand loss from these exemptions, it's just not even close. Um, the president did commit during the campaign and since then uh, that he was going to ensure that EPA enforced the RFS as intended by Congress. Um, and so that means, you know, putting an end to abuse of the small refiner exemption program and restoring the lost volume. So uh, we're going to continue pushing hard on that. All right, Jeff. Good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, Colin Woodall with NCBA. We'll talk about the importance of getting USMCA passed this year. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. You know, very unlikely doesn't mean not. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So uh, I'd say if there's a... You know, a swim chance in there, or a glimmer of hope that we can grab onto and uh, hopefully push them a little harder. And you know, it's going to take help, though. We gotta, we gotta have a lot of folks uh, pushing this thing, and you know, making sure that they want to, they want to move this now and and not wait for that after that August recess. So, you know, like I said, hopefully we can get folks motivated to, to pass USMCA, and we're going to be working hard as NCGA and myself and others to uh, make sure we're out there doing the job and and pushing them, but um, it's it's going to take a lot more effort than that, too, to, to, to get these guys to move off a, of off a center on this one. Hopefully some positives will be coming soon. Thank you very much for the update. Appreciate it. Hey, glad to be on this morning. Thanks a lot. Take care, Kevin. Kevin Ross, president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov drug disposal. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, as we talked about earlier in the program, uh, the drum beat is starting to get louder for USMCA. Uh, it looks like that'll build through the summer, and then uh, looks like it'll be fall probably before a vote takes place. Let's talk about that with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, thanks for joining us. Is that how you see it now? It, it's going to be after the August recess. Unfortunately, it is going to be after the August recess, and the reason why is because the Democrats are at the table talking to Ambassador Lighthizer, who's the U.S. Trade Representative, trying to work out some of the concerns that they continue to have. They've only had one meeting so far. They're having another one today. But just given the the fact that uh, there's only a handful of days left here before they leave for August, there's no way they're going to be able to get that resolved and be able to have a vote. So we are looking at some time, uh, hopefully in a September or October timeline, to get this thing done. From a beef industry perspective, what does this mean? What's at stake here? What's at stake is certainty. We need certainty in how we're going to be able to deal with Canada and Mexico. NAFTA has been extremely good to us, making Canada and Mexico historically two of the top five export markets for U.S. beef. Both of them are markets that are worth, on average, about a billion dollars apiece. That is big money for us in our industry. But right now, a lot of people are concerned about what the future is going to be without having USMCA ratified. And as all your listeners know, markets don't like uncertainty. We don't like uncertainty. So it's a matter of just making sure we know what the rules are going to be and know that we're going to have full, unfettered access into both of those countries moving forward. So what are the biggest hurdles you see that have to be worked out to get it passed? Really, the biggest hurdle is just convincing the Speaker to put it on the floor for a vote with the entire House of Representatives. When you look at the visits that we've had with Republicans and Democrats alike, we believe that if we put it on the floor today, it'll pass. But we do know that there are still some concerns out there, and that is why Ambassador Lighthizer is up talking to the Democrats about some environmental concerns, labor concerns, et cetera. None of them have anything to do with the ag provisions or the beef trade provisions, but these are things that are going to ultimately have to be worked out so that way the Speaker feels comfortable bringing it forward, and that way that she can also defend it. And that's why it's taken a little bit longer than what we had uh, really anticipated, definitely longer than what we want. Could you run the risk of something coming up here at the end of the year that somehow bumps it, and if you get it into next year, then it, it really gets dicey, doesn't it? Well, you've hit on the number one concern that all of us have is that even though it's only July, we're running out of time for 2019 when it comes to congressional action. You know, they've got about 10 days left here in July to take action. They're really focused on the appropriations bills right now. Then they're gone for about six weeks in end of July, August, and early September. When they get back, they're going to be focused on trying to prevent the government from shutting down at the end of September, the end of the fiscal year. They'll be working on appropriations bills or a continuing resolution, and that always complicates the fall. So if this thing is not done by the time they break for Christmas, our chances of getting it done pretty much are, are over. Because as you would mentioned, if it gets into 2019, and the primaries and the Iowa caucuses, at that point in time, all major pieces of legislation really are in jeopardy because Congress is going to be focused on the election and not on actually getting things passed. So when do you think the administration uh, uh, submits the implementing bill? Because then that starts the clock, right? It's a 90-day clock after that point? That's right. It's all about managing the clock at this point in time, and that's why the president has not sent that to Capitol Hill, and that's why he instead is sending Ambassador Lighthizer up to the Hill to have these conversations. So we're hopeful that after today's meeting with the Democrats and possibly two or three more before the end of the month, we'll have a better idea of where they all stand, and then that's what the Trump administration will then use to determine when they send it up. But more than likely, they're not going to send the implementing legislation up until uh, September. And at that point in time, then you have to have the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and, Com Ways and Means Committee actually have what they call their mock markups to review that and pass it before it can actually go to both the floor of the House and the Senate for a vote. It sounds to me like we'll be looking at a vote right before they head out for the uh, Christmas break. It, it could be, uh, but at the same time, 
if they get over these hurdles, Congress has shown that they can act quickly when they want to. So we're not ruling out that we could see something in September or October, but just given their typical track record, you're right, Mike. It probably will be later in the fall or early winter before this is done, and it very well could be the last thing they do before they walk out to head home for Christmas. Before I let you go, what are you hearing about a deal with Japan? The Japanese talks are going extremely well. And I say that because we're hearing that not only from the U.S. trade representative, but we're also hearing that from the Japanese government. And typically in negotiations, you rarely have both sides say everything's going really good, but they are. Uh, question is timing. How quickly can we get this done? And we may be able to see something here within the next year, which when you look at historically how trade agreements are done, that is light speed for a uh, trade negotiation. So we're, we're excited about what this means in trying to basically level the playing field between us and all of the other TPP countries that have access into Japan. So how soon do you think that could happen? You know, within the next year, I think, is realistic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We may see it even before then, but I think within the next year is something that uh, we could hang our hat on. Well, it's going to be interesting uh, to watch this, uh, especially on USMCA, how this progresses through the summer and uh, the bumps and the, the little things that will come up. And uh, uh, But really, as you said, we have to watch that calendar. Their calendar and our and most of the rest of us, the calendar we deal with is different. I mean, there's just so few days that they're actually in session and, and trying to get something big like this done is going to be a challenge. But I know we're going to be hearing from NCBA and a lot of ag groups on this. So thanks, Colin. Good to talk with you as always. Thank you, Mike. Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk infrastructure and market reaction to today's USDA numbers. That's coming up tomorrow right here on AOA. Hope you'll join us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.